Hey, Angela, how are you going? Hi, Jeffrey. Pretty good. Good. What's it like in Canberra today? Well, it's always good in Canberra, Jeffrey. Every day is a beautiful day in our nation's capital. <laughs> That's a really good point. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Source Pod. We should probably introduce ourselves. So I'm Jeffrey Smart, director and co-founder of the Ligon Group, an international education consultancy based in Melbourne and Canberra. And I'm Angela Lehman. I'm an education analyst for the Ligon Group, and I've been working with Jeffrey for the last uh, year or so. Yeah, you started at the beginning of the pandemic. I did. I, I started in February, which was a great time to start. <laughs> <laughs> which, is a, which is a good segue into what this podcast is about. So first of all, should I tell you something about the Ligon Group? So the Ligon Group works right across international education. We do everything from digital marketing strategies right up to improving international research collaboration opportunities for our clients. And um, basically we exist to resolve strategic problems or to help clients seize opportunities that they're prevented with in any aspect of, of international education. And this podcast really comes out of a newsletter that we've recently launched called The Source. And we provide a whole bunch of insight and analysis on the big issues that are confronting international education. This is such an important time for international education. As Andrew Everett, the Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Global Strategy and Advancement at Charles Darwin University told me, there's never been a more critical time in the industry. And Andrew is one of the veterans. He's been around since 1997. And I think he's right. I think he's right. And we know that the sector has been dealing this year with floods of information to take in. And much of it is imperfect. Things keep changing. New challenges are constantly thrown up. So we thought we'd put together a podcast to try and make sense of it all, to analyse the information and to provide expert insight to make a contribution back to the sector, particularly at this critical time. Absolutely. This has really thrown up so many challenges this year that people working in the sector haven't had to deal with before. And that's really come out strongly in our discussions with people throughout the year that they're facing things that are completely new, working with the logistics of bringing in international students, working with regulations in different jurisdictions, working with public health officials and with police. This is really some new ground. And we think it's time for a bit of a stock take to have a think about what we've learned and what the challenges are, and importantly, where to from here. So in this first podcast, we're going to have a look at how pilot program proposals have come about and what they involve. So we'll talk with international education executives from universities around Australia who've been working on these pilot programs. We'll talk about whether or not pilots mean the same as reopening the borders and what the difference is between having a general reopening response to international education or whether we should be working with these smaller bespoke pilot programs. We're going to hear from Deputy Vice-Chancellors and Pro-Vice-Chancellors International about their calls for an urgent national plan to bring international students back in and some of the challenges and opportunities the crisis has presented in terms of collaboration and coordination. And over the course of the last week, we've spoken to the people who have been really at the coalface of this process. We've been speaking to people who have been in charge of pilot program proposals at universities right across Australia. In the coming podcast, we'll hear further from these people to talk about issues to do with the logistics of these programs, like what do they have to actually do to get students safely back into campuses? 
And importantly, we'll also be talking a lot about sentiment, about what the mood is like on campuses for the return of international students, but also in broader business communities and general communities that our universities are situated within. So we're going to be taking a deep dive really into what Australia's approach looks like, how it looks like when we compare it to other countries around the world, and what this means for the future of international ed in this country. So how did we actually get here? What are pilot programs and where did this idea come from? So do you remember if you cast your mind back to the prehistoric days of February this year? that the border firstly closed to China. And at that time, there was a very quick turnaround with students from China entering Australia via what was called a third country option. At that time, the borders were closed to people who had been in China for 14 days previous. So very, very quickly, students began travelling to third countries, particularly Southeast Asian countries, but also some Middle Eastern countries to spend two weeks there before making their final journey to Australia. And a small industry very quickly emerged of brokers based in China facilitating this and our universities here supporting these students with stipends to cover their costs to do this. So in a way, this I can kind of see this as a kind of the first stab at a form of a safety corridor of bringing students back into Australia safely and negotiating those kind of hard borders. But of course, very soon the borders were closed everywhere and for everyone. And this was really felt in the university sector, but also across Australia's communities. So we very quickly, I think, saw the importance of international students in Australia. We saw the impact on retail, hospitality, accommodation and tourism sectors really feeling the absence of students. So even to this day, we have about 20% of our international students offshore, which is about 120,000 students. And universities are facing major financial blows. More than this, you know, we have modelling coming out of the Mitchell Institute that says that there's about $30 billion to $60 billion could be wiped out of the Australian economy because international students are being blocked. What we're going to be hearing about in this series is um, is really what some of those challenges have been, what some of those moving parts are, and to really explore some of these issues that we've just mentioned about collaboration with other states and territories and with other institutions and the challenge that this poses for really what is essentially a competitive market that needs to right now collaborate together. So now that we've talked about where pilot programs came from, let's look around the country to see what the current state of play is across the states and territories. Up in Queensland, there's a state election underway, and so obviously there's no decision imminent there. But as Professor Sarah Todd told us, they're really well advanced with their planning. And same situation in Victoria, different problem. We can't have international flights coming back to Melbourne at the moment, and so there will be no announcement we understand until at least that issue has been resolved. New South Wales seems to be ready to go. They just need approval. Tasmania, the borders need to reopen to Australians before they can bring international students back in. And Western Australia is just closed. There doesn't seem to be much hope of getting a pilot up and running anytime soon. What's the situation in the on-again, off-again ACT, Angela? Yeah, the ACT have had an interesting year, Geoffrey. Back in July, the ANU and University of Canberra worked together to put together a proposal to submit to the Territory Government here. 
and it was praised as being a very good proposal and we managed to get approval or they, sorry, managed to get approval for that here by both the Territory Government and then the sign-off by the Federal Government as our, at that time, our cases here in the ACT were were very low. So we got the go-ahead and the University of Canberra and, and ANU worked very closely together over a period of about six weeks. Unfortunately, just before the students were due to arrive in was when the Victorians had their second wave come in and they made the decision together with public health officials to cancel that pilot. So that was a a bit of a learning. We'll be speaking to people involved with that pilot program throughout this series. On behalf of all Victorians, we (laughs) apologise. So that leaves uh, the Northern Territory. And of course, a few weeks ago, it was announced that the Northern Territory is going to be permitted to bring back a small cohort of around 70 students. So the very first pilot program is underway. We've spoken to Andrew Everett, the Deputy Vice-Chancellor Global Strategy and Advancement at CDU to hear about the lead up to the announcement. Let's hear what Andrew had to say. It's had to be a team effort. I started on this, I think, really February, March, when there was talk about availability of flights slowing down. And I was working on getting a charter flight and then working with Howard Springs on pulling this all together. And then on the 28th or 29th, whatever it was of March, the borders closed and everything just fell apart. So we picked ourselves up again and, and just kept on pursuing it. And finally, we're just about there. And so that brings us to South Australia, who, a little bit like the ACT, have been on again, off again, waiting for their pilot program to be approved. And it has been. So South Australia and the Northern Territory both have pilot programs underway. And we'll be hearing a lot from Gabrielle Rowland, the Pro Vice-Chancellor International at the University of South Australia, about the process that they've been through and are going through. But I spoke to Gabrielle just after the pilot program had been approved, and you can kind of hear how happy she is. Yeah, look, it's really, really good news. I can't believe we've been talking about it for about five months, six months maybe there and finally got the green light and the approval. It's really amazing. Both Andrew and Gabrielle told us that their teams are just elated. They're relieved and energised. For international officers with pilots approved, the change in mood in a really tough year has just been electric. And so that's perhaps a glimmer of hope for the places that don't have pilot programs approved because once they are, the energy will be back in your international office. One of the moving parts, I guess, that that is a part of this entire jigsaw puzzle is that, of course, COVID is taking place in a global environment. It's happening everywhere around the world. And our international education system is situated in a competitive global market. So our competitors have also been struggling with the very same issues that we have. And we notice when we're talking to people in the sector that there are some real challenges that we're going to be having as a nation, bringing back international students due in part to what our competitor countries are doing. So we know that universities in the UK have been bringing in students from China and elsewhere using chartered flights. However, we also know in the UK their infection rates are going very high. We also know, though, that they have just increased their post-study work rights. So, you know, there's this weighing up, isn't there, between what's going on in terms of health, but also in terms of just being able to get students on the ground. Absolutely. I mean, we're a bit, we're sort of international education nerds, aren't we? So we monitor our competitors really closely. And whenever there's a policy announcement or some development that, in our view, will impact their relative competitiveness against ours, we're sort of on it. Canada, I think, what's the date today? The 20th? 
20th of October we're recording this. And so international students are able to re-enter Canada from tomorrow, our time. So there are some very different approaches being taken by our competitors. New Zealand has a pilot program announced to bring 250 PhD students back. So the fact that we are still talking about pilots, whereas most of our competitors are talking about reopening and they're well advanced in those plans, seems to suggest that pilots are not enough here. They're not enough to sustain our recovery, not at this point. They're good, but a comprehensive reopening plan is probably where we need the conversation to head pretty quickly. For sure, absolutely. And I think that leads us really nicely into some of our discussions, really, that we've been having with leaders in the sector. So, Angela, earlier we talked about how we got here, where the concept of pilot programs came from. And while everyone we've spoken to is supportive of pilot programs as a necessary and important proof of concept, just about everyone agrees too that we need a much more comprehensive plan for a national reopening to really get international education back on its feet. I spoke with Professor Sarah Todd, Vice President Global at Griffith University, and she put it really well. This is what she told me. It's all scheduled to go on the 30th of November, so it's it's some sort of glimmer, but we need more than a glimmer. We need (laughs) a flame of hope. And uh, I actually think personally that we're past pilot stage and that we actually need a plan for the return of international students into Australia. And the Queensland pilot, for example, the proposal that was put together within the Queensland government parameters required a three-month rolling intake of students, which was good in that we would have got a reasonable number of students in, but not so good in that it was going to take three months and then a formal evaluation and still no sustainable plan. So I think at this stage of the year, mid-October, that as a sector and as a country, we need to be working on a national plan, which will see returning students and commencing students coming into Australia next year. I spoke with Lawrence Pratchett, Pro Vice-Chancellor Students Partnerships and International at the University of Canberra, about their experience with planning a pilot program. Let me start by saying that the pilot in the ACT was a joint pilot between University of Canberra and the ANU. And so I very much want to recognise the efforts that my colleagues at ANU put into that pilot as well. But how important is the NT pilot? Well, I think pilots are really important, but I think we've almost moved past the point of pilots, actually. We need to almost get to that point where we are moving very quickly now to mainstreaming the return of international students. And I know we're going to come on to some conversation about the international perspective in a moment, but I think we really need to be able to demonstrate to the Australian people and indeed to the government that we can do this successfully and in a very straightforward way scale up quickly to be able to bring students back. I think we are in that, we are now in danger of reaching a point where other countries have got to the point that they are overtaking Australia so much that we'll take a number of years to recover from this if we don't um, act quickly now. So I think Lawrence just shows that there is a real sense of urgency across many people in the sector that we spoke to about having this conversation about the need for a national approach to the reopening of our country for international students. And we'll be exploring this issue in further episodes. I've been really amazed, Angela, that everyone we've spoken to has spoken about the importance of collaboration at this difficult time. People are speaking about this being a brand Australia 
moment that we need pilots to be successful wherever they're approved, not just for the individual universities and states involved, but to demonstrate that the whole sector can return to growth. Andrew Everett up at CDU spoke to me and told me this. It's not about CDU trying to outdo other universities in the country here. It's about growing Australia. It's about getting ourselves back on our feet and it's about partnerships. There's never been a more critical time in my my time in the industry since 1997, where it's so critical we have domestic partnerships, which are going to be much, much more important than international partnerships, ironically, I think, for at least the short to medium term. Yeah, I think uh, Lawrence Pratchett at the University of Canberra really kind of said something along very similar lines when I spoke to him last week. This is what he told me. I think early on, and I, I will have been as guilty as everybody else on this. If we go back to June or July, I was of the view if we could, if Canberra could get its pilot up before anyone else, that would have a significant impact in the international student market to put Canberra on the map a bit and give us a an advantage in, in getting students to come and study in Canberra. I think that moment has passed and that actually what we've got now is a real challenge for Australia to, re- to reassert itself as a um, major place for international students to study. It's much more important that Brand Australia wins now rather than a particular jurisdiction and certainly we've been very willing and happy to share all of our documentation with any of the pilots that have asked for it and we've certainly been in very close contact with the NT and also with South Australia around the way in which we would recommend they do things, not trying to impose our will, but certainly making sure that we share with them everything they need. We're very keen to keep doing those kinds of things because now it's not a question of which jurisdiction will get students back, but how Australia gets students to come. So I think there's this um, this sense across everyone we've spoken to, Geoffrey, in the last few weeks or so, um, that this urgency to collaborate together and to really coordinate um, and share learnings across the sector um, is really essential um, as we go forward across all kinds of areas. Collaboration in terms of messaging, collaboration in terms of sharing um, logistical information and collaboration in terms of really making this a national approach um, to, to recovery for the international education sector. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the sector pulling together so strongly. It's amazing. It really is. Well, Angela, we've come to the end of our first episode, but I think before we go, I've been really struck, and I think you said this at the beginning, I've been really struck about some of the things that DVCs I are learning in 2020. They're learning things that are completely unexpected. And one of the things that really tickled me was this concept of charter flights. So Andrew Everett talked about having to select a charter flight operator. Sarah Todd spoke about having to get DFAT approval for charter flights because because apparently it turns out you can't just fly a plane into another country, pick up a bunch of their citizens and bring them back to Australia. Who knew that you needed to get that particular agency involved? It's just remarkable. And, and so for in, in a sense for me, our DVC's eye are really defining what airport pickup or airport reception means. They're taking it to the, to the next level. I've just been really struck about the amazing things that people are having to learn in 2020 and the implications for their performance reviews with their bosses at the end of this year when it finally comes. Imagine all of the professional development that colleagues across the sector have accidentally gone through this year. <laughs> Absolutely. I, think, I, I don't think that our, our uh, international offices across the country would have expected to have learned such uh, a diverse array of skills this year when they come to the end of their 
their year this year. But I think part of what they've also learned that struck me is is just this sense that um, we are literally in this together when we're talking about the international education sector and just this sense of of um, togetherness across the country and willingness to share expertise and learnings as they've been going through this. And um, just that the enthusiasm we had with speaking to people for this podcast is a real testament to that, I think. Yeah, it's a really good point. Hey, let's talk about what our next episode will entail. Sure. I think our next episode is actually going to be drawing on some of these points related to performance reviews, perhaps. So we're going to be talking about really some of these skills and, and knowledge that our deputy vice chancellors have been needing to learn through the year. So we're going to talk to people who have been really at the front face of this about what is involved, what have they needed to learn about charter flights, about working with various government agencies, working amongst competing regulations and working with their competitors. What does it mean to have a quarantine system in place and what kinds of boxes need to be ticked in order to get our international students to safely re-enter the country? It's coming up soon. So thank you so much for listening to the first episode of The Source Pod. You can subscribe to The Source Pod on iTunes or you can follow the Ligon Group on LinkedIn or Twitter. Or you can visit the Ligon Group at theligongroup.com. Angela, have a great day. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>